couple of years ago, I was at a rabbinic conference and I got to hear from the great Leon Wieseltier, who's the uh, literary editor of the New Republic, a great public intellectual and a Jew who's become more connected to his own personal Judaism. And he told the crowd of us 40 rabbis that were listening to him, he said that he and his wife decided to send their son to a Jewish community school in Washington where they were living. And since it's a community school, the kids come from all backgrounds, reform, conservative, orthodox. And one day during recess, the teacher overheard a number of the children making fun of one of the other kids because he came to school that day, to Jewish school, wearing tzitzis, you know, the fringes, the mitzvah we have from the Torah to wear fringes. And when recess was over, the teacher assembled her class and she explained, first and foremost, how wrong it is to make fun of another person for something that they're wearing. And then she went on to explain why Jews wear tzitziot. And she opened up a chumash Bible and showed them the verse from the Torah and gave some very beautiful explanations as to why men are commanded to wear tzitziot. And that night, five boys from the class, all from reformed families, asked their parents if they too could get a pair of tzitzis. And four out of the five parents said yes. They went out and they bought their children this new mitzvah. And I'm sharing the story because not only were these children open to exploring a new uh, mitzvah, a new part of Judaism that they weren't familiar with before, but four out of the five parents, individuals who identified themselves as Reformed Jews, not necessarily committed to these rituals, were open too. There's an incredible level of receptivity and openness to Jewish tradition, to Torah and mitzvah. The only question is, what's the best way to present it? And I'm asking this question because this week's parsha that we spoke about, Truma, speaks about the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is the primary vehicle through which our ancestors not only communicated with God, but were connected with God. And the question is, how much emphasis today should we be putting on rituals like tzitzis, Shabbat observance, the Jewish dietary laws, versus inspiring people in terms of the overall ideology and philosophy of Judaism? Wieseltier lamented what he feels is too much of an emphasis, he says, in the Orthodox community on mitzvot and ritual, and not enough rabbis teaching the philosophy, the overall ideology of Judaism. But then you look outside of the Orthodox world where ritual perhaps is not taken as seriously and more philosophy, the big picture, is emphasized. And unfortunately, we're just losing so many Jews. So which is more important and where do we focus our efforts? And I truly believe that this week's Parsha that speaks about the tabernacle, it's not just, you know, I always say about these Parsha, they're not just about some ancient thing that happened thousands of years ago. We're supposed to learn from this for today, for our lives today. And what's interesting about the tabernacle is the order in which that structure was built. Now, it seems logical. God commands Moses to build the structure and then the vessels, right? What are the vessels of the tabernacle? The Aron, right? The Ark of the Covenant, which housed the tablets, right? The Mizbeach, the altar, the menorah, the candelabra, right? And the Torah says, Kuchol exactly as I show you, eight tavnit hamishkan, the blueprint of the tabernacle, the eight tavnit kokelav, and then it mentions the vessels. So first you have to create the structure, and then into that structure you can bring the kalim, the vessels of the, ta of the tabernacle. 
Talmud, however, tells us that when Moses related these instructions to the chief architect of the tabernacle, B'Tzalel, he reverses the order. Moshe says the Talmud, when God told Moses, Make for me a tabernacle, the ark and vessels. Moshe went and he, hafach is kofi hafuch, right, upside down. He reversed the order. And he told Mishkan. First, first put in the ark and the vessels, and then the tabernacle, then the structure. But Salal then turns to Moses and he says to him, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, Min Hagoshal Olam, the way the world is Adam Bona Bayit, first you build a house, then you put the furniture in. Can you imagine building a house? Well, first buying the furniture and putting it on the street and then building a house around it. It seems complete the opposite of what we should be doing. Kalim Shani Ose. But Salah says to Moses, the vessels that I create. Into what should I bring them? Perhaps, Mitzalo continues to Moses, maybe this is what God meant. Asay Mishgan, first make the tabernacle, the structure, Aaron, the Kalim, and then the ark and the vessels. Amarlo, Moses responded, Shema Bitzel Kel Hayita Viadata. Maybe you were in the shadow of God and you knew this. What is going on here? I mean, besides teaching us how the cool way that Betzalel got his name, Betzel El, in the shadow of God. What is going on here in terms of this, this exchange? What is the nature of this debate between Moses and Betzalel in terms of the creation of the tabernacle? And perhaps, I heard this from one of my teachers, perhaps what they were arguing over is the best way for the Jewish people to have a relationship with God. How do you set up a religiously committed Jewish community? The Mishkan was, of course, our central mode of worship. So what do you do first? What do you emphasize? Perhaps their dispute revolved around whether or not we should focus on philosophy and ideology or ritual and mitzvot. But Salah was telling us that true commitment needs to first and foremost be based on an underlying philosophy and ideology. Right? It has to start with a, a belief system. There's a God. God gave us the Torah. He wants us to live in a certain way. And here are, the, here are the vessels, here are the mitzvah that will let you live in that way. Moshe was arguing just the opposite. He taught that an ideology without a basis in practice, a philosophy that is not expressed through regular mitzvah observance is never going to last. Just look at the Jewish community. He was right. And therefore Moses advocated that first they build the rituals, the kalim, the vessels, and only afterwards, the structure. Because Moshe believed that it's ultimately the lifestyle and the practices of Judaism that bring the message of Torah to our everyday lives. But which is more important? And of course, whenever you have these kinds of disputes, there's a little truth in both. There's a lot of truth in both. We need both. Practices and mitzvot that are not rooted in an overall ideology, which do not reflect a certain spiritual foundation, what happens? I'm sure we've all met people who keep a lot of Torah and a lot of mitzvot, but if there isn't, if it's not being done because it's part of something bigger, then the, the, those, those practices and those rituals become rote and meaningless at some point. And a philosophy which doesn't find itself expressed in action, in deeds, pie in the sky. 
it dissipates over time. The Jews, whose observance seems to succeed, and I will tell you, I've had this now running MG for 24 years. We already have graduates from 22, 23, 24 years ago who are married with kids for years celebrating their children's bar bat mitzvot. The ones who made it, when I say made it, I don't mean financially made it, the ones who spiritually made it, whose kids are observing. Right? People always ask me, what's, what's the, the gauge of MGE's success? How do we gauge success? And I always say, it all depends on what happens with your kids and your grandchildren. Right? The Jews whose observance seems to succeed, the ones that last, is with the, are the ones that have that balance. And I see this in our two communities that I run with personally. There's the MGEers and there's the FFBs, right? FFBs are from, from birth, people who are raised in the observance Torah community. Now, when it comes to the MGE community, we're in the business of inspiration, right? And thank God, lots of people come through our doors. They get turned on to certain ideas and philosophy of Judaism. But the ones who are successful in transmitting that idea, whose kids pick up on it, are the ones who express that inspiration in a commitment to halacha, to Jewish law, to practices, to rituals, to a certain lifestyle. Because you know what? And I know this as a parent. Kids often don't pay attention to what we say or the feelings we have, but they pick up on what we do. What the things that we do, they're tangible, they're concrete. It's something that the next generation can live with. FFBs, on the other hand, the from, from birth, Orthodox Jews have a different challenge. By and large, the Orthodox world is raising children to be, to be committed to certain practices, good spiritual habits, praying every day, saying blessings before we eat, observing Shabbat, keeping kosher. But with many such practitioners, there isn't always that underlying system of philosophy. And when you don't really know why you're doing what you're doing, the what's become stale. And then people start skimping. They just start doing the minimum just to sort of stay in the game. And that's why I always tell my friends who I was raised in the Orthodox community with or others that I see around, yeshiva-educated men and women, that you need to continue to study and to learn because Torah is the fuel for mitzvot. It's what's going to give you a reason to keep on observing. And this balance between inspiration and ideology on one hand Commitment to a certain lifestyle on the other is critical for our own personal lives. No doubt part of the miracle of Purim. What was the miracle of Purim? It wasn't just Haman tried to kill us. We survived, let's eat. That is the story, but there is something deeper. What is deeper and what we're really celebrating on Purim is how the Jewish people went from being assimilated in ancient Persia. They went to all these parties parties that were being thrown according to rabbinic tradition to celebrate the end of Jewish history. There was this prophecy that 70 years after the destruction of the first temple, the Jewish people would come back and rebuild the second temple. Ahasuerus, the king, ancient Persia, believed that those 70 years had come and gone. And one of the reasons, according to the sages of the Talmud, that he threw that party and came out dressed in the priestly garb from our temple, drinking wine from the goblets and vessels from our temple is because he was celebrating the end of Jewish history. The Jews, you're not going back, you're staying right here. You're just going to assimilate into Persian culture. 
and Jews attended that party, making l'chaims to the end of their own history. We went from that in the beginning of the Megillah to a tshuva, where the Jewish people came back because of Mordechai and Esther, because they saw what was happening. And it was an unbelievable thing that they were able to somehow see that they had lost their way, that they had gotten so sucked into Persian culture and forgotten the very purpose of their existence. They forgot the why of being Jewish. And that was Mordechai to wake them up to do this. Esther then came in and brought it home. What did Esther do? She asked the people to do something specific before she went before the king. She asked all, everyone to pray and to fast. She created almost like a day of Yom Kippur for Persian Jewry to get back into Judaism, but it needed to involve not just philosophy. They had to actually do something. He had to engage in mitzvot. He had to not just ideologically become committed to Torah, but practically observe mitzvot. And that balance is so incredibly important. That's what she needed to come before the king. You know, God's name is not mentioned anywhere in the story, Megillah Esther, but every time the word king is used, according to the rabbis, it really refers to, to the king of kings, to God. Esther could only come before Hashem to save her people only after she inspired her people to not only become ideologically recommitted, but committed to mitzvot. Tshuva, returning to God, starts with a machshava. It starts with a thought, with the big picture. There's a God, my actions have caused distance between myself and my creator. But to bridge that gap, we need something practical. We use the mitzvot, these God-given vessels, Mamish literally vessels, utensils designed to connect us, to reconnect us to our divine source and ultimately help us become the people we were meant to be. This is the winning combination, my friends. Machshava and Maisa. Thoughts and action. Ideology, practice. Torah, mitzvot. Which has proven throughout the millennia to keep Jews Jewish in any environment. And in my mind, it's what we need to return to today and to find that balance in our own personal religious lives. And please, God, in doing so, we should not only have great meaning and satisfaction from having that balance ourselves, but please, God, we'll all be able to see this, not only performed by ourselves today, but one day by our children and our grandchildren and for all eternity. Thank you for listening.